read Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. Um, man, even now as I'm about to talk, I, I'm just in like a living room mode, all right? We're just going to chat for a few minutes, and then we're going to talk at our table. So I just pray like the, the Lord will turn your, your chairs into couches, and y'all can just like relax, drop your shoulders, and let's talk about Ephesians together, okay? Uh, all right, so verse 1 in chapter 4, page 568, if you're using one of our Bibles. Paul's going to say, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, So we're going to kind of cover two two aspects of this passage. Um, The first thing is Paul urging us to walk in a manner um, worthy of your calling, all right? Um, To walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And if you find yourself as a follower of Jesus here, um, this is going to be to you specifically. So I I grew up in the context uh, where calling was a big part of my culture, um, you often had to like, think about, God, what are you calling, uh, calling me to be? And what that meant was, God, what have you designed? Like, we believe that God has created um, each of us for a specific purpose to live out. Like, we've been created to come alive in a specific way. Um, and that was on an individual level, but also a corporate level. And today we're going to be talking about this calling on a corporate level. So if you find yourself as a follower of Jesus right here, right now, this is, this is your calling. And then secondly, um, we're going to talk about um, the, some of the specifics of what that looks like. When Paul says, walk in a manner, like, you know, live in such a way that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called, he's gonna give us some specifics of what that actually looks like, so we'll talk through that. So, you know, in Ephesians 1 through 3, we talked about that word identity, uh, and Paul has been talking about our calling. You know, in, in chapter 1, I believe, he's gonna talk about the fact that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, that, like, we have been fully brought into the family of God In Ephesians 2, he's going to say that for by grace you've been saved, not by works. You can't boast about it. You can't brag about it. That there's works that God has created you uh, for before time even began. They're for you. He's going to talk about unity in Jesus. He talks about how uh, Jews and Gentiles alike get to come into the family of God and be one. That no nation, no race, no gender, no one's left out. Everyone in Jesus is brought in. That's the calling to which you've been called. You've been called to be in the family of God. And now he's going to say, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. So as you sit here in in the family of God, he's going to say, now you got to live in a manner that's worthy of the belonging you've been given in Jesus. You're in the family of God. Now what's it look like um, to live into that uh, reality. And as I was reading this, I kind of thought even this morning, you know, none of us did anything to be born into our family, right? You kind of just showed up here, right? Like when, when your mom and dad, when your mom had you, pushed you out, like you didn't go, man, I worked really hard for that, right? You just cried because you knew nothing about the world yet, right? And so in a sense, you were kind of a part of your family, uh, no credit to you, right? You just kind of showed up. But then it's your family's responsibility as you grow up to say, um, hey, this is what it looks like to be in the family, right? If you grow, if, if your parents raised you, if someone else, whoever it was, they kind of showed you, when you're a part of this household, this is what it looks like to function in this family system. And that's kind of the, the talk that Paul's gonna have here. 
Like, hey, you didn't do anything to accomplish. This isn't a works-based salvation weird thing where you do a certain amount of things and Jesus lets you in. It's like, by grace, you've been saved. Like, Jesus, in his infinite love, has saved you. As a result of that, this is kind of what it looks like uh, to be uh, in the family. And so he's going to talk a lot about unity. So this is Paul's first bit of, like, urging. He says, hey, I urge you to walk in this. And he's going to spend his first thoughts on, hey, if you're in the body of Christ, if this is your status in the body of Christ, here's my first thought. Be unified. Be together. And I love that that's like his first thought. And so we're just going to chase, why would Paul, why is this the first thing that he would have on his mind as we gather here? And I, and I want to address attention right from the beginning. So me, I grew up, and if you would have asked me, hey, uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of church? Um, here's kind of what I would think about. Um, churches, to me, were kind of like restaurants. So whenever you go to a restaurant, what do you think about? You think, what was the vibe like, right? Were they playing cool music? Was it cheesy music? Was there no music and there should have been? Was the music too loud, right? That, that has an effect on your experience, right? How'd the food taste? That's a big deal at a restaurant, right? When you're reviewing how good it was, uh, how was the quality of the food? Was my waiter or waitress, did they treat me well? Did I feel welcome? Did I have fun? Did I laugh? Did everyone get along? What was the venue like? Was it enough space? I remember going to this new restaurant. Everyone told me it was great, but the table was like half the size it should have been. That really wrecked me, man. I did not have a great time at that restaurant. I was like, this table's so tiny, and my chips and guac are here, and I have no room for my tacos. I hope that didn't just tell you where I was. It didn't. No, you're good. Um, so I just remember thinking that wasn't that great, right? That's what we do at restaurants. Like in the, in the, the culture of like Google reviews, like we look for ourselves um, to be appeased, right? And that makes sense. When you go to a restaurant, you don't ask yourself, what did I bring to the table? You know, how did I help the restaurant's experience? No one does that, right? Here's my concern. I kind of grew up in church like that. Like, when people are trying to find a church, if you ask someone, hey, why do you go to that church? Man, the worship's great. Oh my gosh, she sounds so good. Oh, he's so good at guitar. You know, oh, the preacher's great. He's so funny. He's relatable. And those are good things. I love the venue. It's a good spot. It's close to where I live. All of those are good things. But my concern is a lot of times we'll miss out on the beauty of passages like this because we've only ever asked, what does the church service do for me? And we're about to talk about an invitation for Paul to go, what are you doing as the church? You know, ethos, we call these gatherings. I don't know if you've ever noticed that language. Hey, welcome to the 11 o'clock gathering and not service, because we really want to push back against that mentality. Um, our goal is not to like appease your appetite. We don't hope to give you a great service, a great product, and hope that you're coming back. What we hope to do is awaken us to the reality that we've been called to be living, breathing parts of the body of Christ. If you were a follower, does that make sense? Andre, does that make sense? Like, you are not here to be spectators. Um, not because I said so, because God said so. He did not create us to be a bunch of shallow spectators who ask how our week's going and kind of zone out and never actually listen. Like, we have been created in the body of Christ to go deeper with one another. And so this is gonna feel primarily towards Christians, and it kind of is. But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you don't believe in him, um, you're about to get a picture uh, of what Jesus really wants from his church. And some of us are coming in here and we're giving church a try because we, we just kind of feel obligated to on Sundays. But if we're being honest, we're kind of jaded and we don't like what we've seen in the church. Um, but what we're gonna capture today is the genuine heart behind what church is meant to be. 
why it exists, what it should be, okay? Um, So Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of that calling, and now we're about to flesh it out. So let's read verses two through three. This is where he kind of names, hey, here's kind of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, to be a part of the body of Christ. In verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul, he's originally writing to this this group of people that would be both Jews and Gentiles. Um, Jews were originally like the people of God and Gentiles were anyone that was not a Jew, all right? So shout out to all my Gentiles repping really hard in this room right now. That's us, all right? And we're in the family, all right? So Jews Jews and Gentiles um, were kind of his audience. But at the time, Jews and Gentiles, clear dividing lines. Jesus was like new news. Jesus was the one that said, no, 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 you're all in. Like perfect, holy God, separation, I'm the bridge. Through me, anybody, everybody, you're in. But you can imagine that Jews and Gentiles, having formerly been separated by race and by spirituality and and many things, like you can imagine there was a lot of tension there. And so Paul's going to speak into that tension. You can tell what his concern is. There's a lot of potential here for tension, for struggle, for superiority, for complexes that don't need to be there, right? So he's going to speak. We need unity. Now, I know a lot of us, we we probably can't relate, right, to the Jew-Gentile divide, but let's be real. If we're at all culturally aware, we have plenty of divides in this room right now, um, but also in our society, right? Racially, socioeconomically, gender, and, and even on the shallow side, personalities. Like, there's plenty of things that divide us. And Paul's going to say, And despite all those divides, here's what I need you to aim for, unity. And here's what it's going to take. And so we're just going to walk through these words. This is what it's going to take. If we as a church at Hillsborough Village, or if you're here from another church, when you go back to your church, um, this is the call. As we walk closer together, that's the first call, to be unified. But there is going to be this need for these words that we're about to cover, humility and patience and gentleness And if you're hearing this and you're like, "Ah, I feel like I'm doing pretty good, you probably haven't gone deep enough with your Christian community yet, okay? You just probably aren't going quite deep enough with the church community that you're a part of because the deeper you go, the more you're gonna get on my nerves and the more I'm gonna get on yours and the more God's gonna reveal, oh, they're not getting on your nerves, you're prideful, right? So that's gonna happen as we go deeper. So Paul is trying to get us ready for that. So first word, with all humility. So if we at Hillsborough Village... Commit, let's go deeper with one another. Um, Let's commit to being humble with each other. Let's remember that in our relationship with Jesus, we don't come to Jesus going, okay, here's what I got to offer. Can we make a deal, right? Jesus in his perfection, we had no shot at making a deal with Jesus, right? He brings everything to that table. So we don't come to Jesus with entitlement, we don't come with him uh, expecting something from, from, for us to be able to earn anything from him. Jesus simply lavishes love and grace freely. Pretty good deal in friendship, right? Let's do that with each other. Let's not be prideful with each other. There are so many barriers. Um, we kind of make ourselves the personal standard in our friendships. It's pretty common, right? You kind of have your friends based on who fits your personality the best, who gets along with you the best, who you think is cool enough to be your friend. That's a tendency in us. Let's get rid of that. 
What if the only requirement to us loving each other in humility was if they are human and have a heartbeat? It's like, you're in. Like, I don't bring anything to the table with Jesus, so I don't expect you to bring anything to the table with me. I expect you to be human, and I'm going to love you for it. Let's commit to doing that. Does that sound kind of good? Especially with our brothers and sisters in the faith. When you ask people, hey, what's the church known for? Man, humility. No, right? It's like, man, when I went there, I felt kind of judged. Everyone was dressed super nice. I wasn't. That was weird. Why is everyone wearing suits? I don't know. Like, you know, they asked me if I was new. I raised my hand. I felt awkward. No one really talked to me. It's like, man, what if we just like clothed ourselves in humility and welcomed people immediately? And when someone had that inevitable social awkward moment, instead of kind of laughing it off and making them feel distant, giving an inclusive statement saying, it's cool. I've been awkward a million times. Like you fit in right with me. What if we did that in humility? Let's do that. You know, I looked up a definition for humility, and it was talking about making yourself lower um, than everybody else. But um, I think a better way to put it is just to lift others above yourself. Because you're not, like, way down here at the ground. Like, Jesus has exalted you in the heavenly realms. Like, Ephesians is going to say that in Ephesians 2. Like, Jesus has raised you up as saints. But Jesus was so good at being the king of kings who was never scared to wash feet, to serve people. Man, what if we as a church started to embody that? Can you imagine what that might be like? If, if, if you walked in not thinking, you know, what, what can be done for me? And instead, what can I do for others? Like, I come humbly, knowing that Jesus, the king of all, stooped low to lift me up. So I, therefore, stoop low to lift others up. This is not the calling for the pastor, for the worship team. This is the calling for us. This is all of our calling. Let's walk in humility. So let's, let's keep moving. I'm just going to be pretty basic and pretty quick. And gentleness. Um, so when I was uh, reading about gentleness, it seems like the, kind of the idea behind it is it's the opposite of self-assertion to dominate others. So um, I'm the kind of guy who is very opinionated and competitive and sarcastic. And those three things really come together to make for some vicious comments if I'm not watching myself, right? Like I'm the kind of guy where I love you, but I'm sarcastic, so you think I hate you, and I didn't mean to make you feel that, but you feel it, right? It's like, I can be a little aggressive. I can assert myself in my conversations, and it's not good, I'm not proud of it, it's me, okay? So it's important, right, that we don't do this with others. That inevitably, as we walk together, let's just go ahead and make this clear, we're gonna have different opinions about different things politically, in our, in our spirituality, and, and just life in general. And those are going to offer us moments to be gentle and kind and humble and listen or to assert our dominance. Let's just commit to one another. When we come across differences, we will gently talk through them. We will not be condescending. We will not clothe ourselves in pride. We will be gentle in listening to others, validating what they're saying, and responding in kindness. Is that cool? Does that make sense? Like when I look at CNN or Fox News, it's like those are two things that are just so, I don't want to go political. I don't think I'm doing that. News is so opinionated and loud about it. And they teach us to have opinions and be really loud and don't listen, like force yourself. We're not going to do that as a church. We're going to be gentle. All right, let's keep reading. Um, It says, uh, with humility and gentleness, with patience, um, let's be patient with each each other. Patience endures under affliction meaning when someone is wrong, they don't retaliate or even harbor bitterness. Something else I thought of, we assume the best in one another. If we really start walking deeply together, you will immediately feel the need for patience, promise. 
you will immediately feel the need to assume the best in other people because they're not like you. They don't speak your language. They say different things that make them laugh, that offend you, or that make you laugh and offend them. And we're going to need an incredible amount of patience. So let's make a commitment as a church body to come in here prepared to assume the best in people. Have you ever said something that hurt someone's feelings and you were like, I cannot believe I said it. In the moment, I meant it, but I don't mean it anymore. I'm such a bonehead. I never use that word, but that's, that's what came to my head, all right? We've all been boneheads, okay? <laughs> you ever had that moment, though, and you're like, I hope to goodness they're patient with me because I could have just really hurt their feelings, right? You've done that. Why don't we assume that when we're wronged, that just happened? Someone wronged us, and let's just assume the best in them. They probably don't want me to not like them. They probably don't want me to be mad at them for the next six months. They probably want me to forgive them, be patient and gracious. Let's do that with each other. When someone inevitably says something that just rubs you the wrong way and you're irritated and you want to dodge them or just go back to the shallow waters of, hey, how was your week? Okay, like, good to see you. Get me out of that conversation. Like, no, let's be patient. Embrace the humanity in each of us. Jesus has shown us immense patience So often we bring things that should agitate the heck out of Jesus. He's perfect. He gets it. We don't. But he shows us amazing patience, amazing grace. Let's do this. And all of this is to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Did you know that as a church, that's kind of what we're designed to do, is to reflect the unity of the Holy Spirit of God That unity that Paul's talking about, that in Jesus, all divides are removed, abolished. They're gone. Everyone belongs. That we are the body of Christ. I'm talking to followers of Jesus who are walking together. We're the local body of Christ. It is on us, not the pastor, not the word, us as a church to embody this unity. I was thinking, what's the benefit of this? One, think about our culture. How often do you see humility and gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another in love just lifted super high. It's like not very often. You'll see it in some forms, right? But typically all those people think the exact same thing, and so they're all in love, and they're encouraging love. But across the globe, it's just not very common. What kind of environment would we set if we began to really walk into this together, to lock arms and in spite of our differences, walk in humility and gentleness and patience and love and strive for peace? You know, the church in Acts 2, I recognize that Jesus lived a perfect life and did this in perfection, and he was murdered, right? So we're not going to appease everyone in every place. But there's this reality that the church in Acts 2 lived in such unity, lived in one accord, that they were well-received in their community, not just by followers of Jesus, but by people who said, I'm not really on board with the Jesus thing, but that community has to stay because, oh my goodness, they love me. They're generous. They love each other. They live in peace and joy, and they were welcomed in their city. Is that what church sounds like today? I think that's the intention, though. I think Paul wants that here, and we can do that in Hillsborough Village. Wouldn't it be awesome if someone came and said, like, I don't really believe in Jesus, but that place rocked. I was welcomed. I was loved. In fact, too many people came and tried to get to know me, and I was bombarded because I was an introvert. But, man, I know they cared about me. You know, I, at the very least, I left with that. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, people's lives aren't going to be changed just merely through preaching. It's going to happen as we live into this, as we seek to go deeper with one another, 
to come across tense moments and in gentleness and humility. How many times am I gonna say gentleness, humility, and patience right now, right? Love each other. I'm thinking about a friend I had who just four or five, maybe six months ago, was suicidal in the midst of depression, hurting. He came here. Then he got plugged into a house church. That man started to believe in Jesus. He got baptized here. Started believing in Jesus, not because of one sermon, but because of what he saw in the body of Christ. Man, the more we live into this, the more you get rooted into the body of Christ, and maybe here at Hillsborough Village or whatever church you're at, whatever church you get plugged into, the more the gospel, as we live into it, will begin to take root in people that never thought they'd find themselves believing in Jesus or enjoying a thing called church. But church is good. Church is amazing. Church is the bride of Christ. Church is God's plan to reach the world. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the plan of Jesus. He is not ashamed of his church. He's proud of it. I I really wanna encourage us to live into this. And so we do this thing every week where we have discussion and the teaching isn't supposed to just like cram your heads full of knowledge and then you leave and think, oh, that was either a good teaching or a bad teaching. Um, Now it kind of serves more as a launching pad into conversation, okay? We're about to enter into that moment. Uh, But before we do that, I wanna give us one question to write down or type on your phone that's just for you, okay? It's just for you personally. You're not gonna share at your table. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself, wherever I'm at church, what is my next step into going deeper into the unity of the body of Christ? And word that however you want, that felt too wordy. But what is your next step? The call is to be unified. The call is to get deep enough in the body of Christ to where you understand how important it is that you better add some humility to your character, some patience, some gentleness, because you're going deep enough where you're coming across some tense moments and you better soak yourself in humility like Jesus did. So what's your next step? It may be something simple like, I need to have more conversations. It may need, I need to plug into a house church, whatever it is. But just, I encourage you this week sometime, just pray about that. God, if, if your plan is, is for the world to be reached to the church, how do I step into it? How do I go from spectator to participant? I really want to step into it, okay? And now as we talk at our tables, um, I have a couple questions for you. Um, Actually, I skipped something, sorry. It's going to be really important um, that this doesn't stay in our heads, um, but this becomes something we really commune with God about and that we pray for. Um, Community like this, there's a reason it doesn't happen because it's so freaking hard. Uh, It's so hard to find community like this. We need the Spirit of God to help us. When we don't like somebody, we can't really, we can grit our teeth as hard as we can, but it's hard to like somebody, right? We need the spirit of God. Jesus is the one who turns enemies into family. He does that by his spirit. I've seen it in my own life. There are people that just, I got on their nerves and they got on mine and I'm gonna be in one of their weddings this summer. Jesus, like prayer, that took prayer and a lot of DTRs. Like, you know, like, okay, we're having some tension. Let's talk through this again, right? That's one of my best friends. That's awesome. It's like, we need prayer. So pray for this. And secondly, be intentional. This will not happen by accident. I promise that. We will not be more unified because we had a good teaching on it. And we didn't even have a good teaching on it. We had a mediocre teaching on it, right? This won't happen by accident. Ask people questions, get to know them, but ask them to lunch. Hang out with them on like a Monday, which would be insane. It's like, create time for this. Does that make sense? This will be a room full of somewhat strangers, somewhat friends until we take this further, okay? So be intentional with it. I'm out of prayer. Um, And then thirdly, be gracious with one another. We are gonna make mistakes, especially if we take this to heart and try to go deeper. Um, Like 
model citizen of making mistakes, trying to make friends and accidentally making enemies. Like, I'm so sorry I said that. I didn't mean it. I thought you had watched The Office. That was an office quote. I'm so sorry. But instead it was just mean. You know, it's like, like I've been there. I do that all the time and I hate it, but I do it. Why? I'm human. So are you. We're going to make mistakes. Just as you'd want someone to be gracious with you uh, when you make a mistake, let's be gracious with one another. As you try to go deeper, as others try to go deeper with you, soak it in grace. That is like what King Jesus has done for us right now in this moment. He is just, just fire hydrant grace coming out of it, just all over us, all right? Let's do that with each other. Now we're gonna enter in to, to, to questions at our tables. And you know, as we do this every week, I say this and or Larkin says that, you know, as we go into discussion, a lot of people we just want to recognize didn't come here today expecting tables, much less that uh, they didn't expect to be vulnerable with a table full of strangers, okay? We want to really honor that and respect it. Um, so if you choose to have the courage to share, um, we as listeners are going to commit to something. Um, we are not going to critique what you share, all right? Oh, that was good, but here's where you were wrong. We're not going to ever do that, all right? So stop it, all right? Um, uh, we don't want to be uh, constructive listeners. We just want to be appreciative listeners, Listen with grace, listen with appreciation. If someone chooses to be vulnerable and share their thoughts, their beliefs, their opinions with you, be thankful. That's not always easy for people, even if it's easy for you, okay? So be a good listener, all right? And so these are the questions um, I want us to discuss at our tables together. Um, we'll, we'll talk for about 10 minutes, and then I'll, I'll give us some instructions on communion. Um, so first thing, you know, I told you kind of what my first impression was with church, uh, what I think of when I think of church. Um, and I invite you to share that with your table. Um, when you think of the word church, maybe before you heard this teaching today, uh, what would come to your mind? And, and don't think too much because you'll end up coming up with a biblical answer that's true and beautiful and not really what you think of, okay? So um, be honest. Some of you is going to be like, I think of suits and I have to go because my mom's making me or that legal. Be honest, all right? Be real and share through table. And then secondly, how does Ephesians 4, what we just talked about today, influence how you see your role in the body of Christ? What does it mean for you to start stepping into obedience to this? What does it mean to start pursuing unity in the body of Christ as Paul is talking about it? Okay, does that make sense? Was that second question clear? Was that better? Was that all right? Okay, it felt wordy. All right, great. Um, so let's talk about this at our tables. You know, what, was your, what, what's, what comes to your mind when you think about church? And then also with Ephesians 4 in mind, what is your role in pursuing unity as a part of the body of Christ? Um, we're going to play some music. Do your thing. Share with your table.